Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. Uh, I'm joined today by the father of machine learning, the CEO and chairman of Loki, Mr. John Wise. John, welcome uh, to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, I, I I don't know that I quite could say I'm I'm the father of, of machine learning. I've I've had uh, quite a lot to do with some of the modern techniques, but uh, there are a lot of people that deserve that credit better than I do. Well, we'll give you one of the fathers. How about that? We'll you'll be one of the founding fathers of uh, of machine learning. Is that okay? I, I I suppose my my father, who's the co-inventor of of my technology, would argue even that, but he likes to argue so. Oh, it's perfect. Okay. So perfect. It, it suits well. Awesome. Well, well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. And before we dive into um, your topics today around um, Loki, you know, uh, intellectual property, um, and of course, blockchain, um, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and kind of your journey and, and the career and, and how you've got to where we are today. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so grew up uh, in... Washington D.C. or the the area around there, and uh, in a stark contrast to to where most people in that area go, um, usually into politics or business, something along those lines. Uh, decided pretty early on, I wanted to be a mechanic and specifically a Formula One engineer. Um, I I started working on cars about the age of twelve, um, specifically race cars, and and got deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, ended up spending right around fifteen years in and around race. Racing um, did a did a stint in some aerospace stuff as well, um, and uh, spent a lot of time engineering and designing things, um, particularly systems engineering. Um, I have no formal education, with the exception of of high school, of which I didn't do very well in. Um, but you know, I, I I think when it comes to redesigning and reengineering uh, and reinventing large systems like like the world's finance and, and world's economics, it's actually been a really good uh, uh, aid for me to not have any formal background. Um, I never learned the wrong ways that people were teaching it. So I just started looking at things and why they were done the way that they were. And it led me down a lot of deep rabbit holes and, and realizing a lot of uh, harsh realities and truths about the way that our economics uh, and, and finance system works. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. You know, we're, we're, a, we're in a pretty unique position as a generation um, because of the way that, to your point, you know, how we did in school to now what we're doing in, in our, our careers because, you know, school was, was always taught um, the same way as it had been for, for years. And then all of a sudden, the, this thing called technology got thrown into the mix of it. Um, and then the internet got thrown in and all of a sudden everything went full acceleration. Uh, and our learning styles changed as to, you know, how we looked at things, how we wanted to consume information. And all of a sudden we get out into the world and we start looking at these new processes, this new way of how to kind of digitize or, um, refactor something that has been so traditional, uh, and it yep. sounds like you you had that on the economic side. Yeah, well, you know, I I, I was a systems engineer, so mm -hmm. and I and I refer to myself as a systems engineer, um, whether it be a race car, a jet, a rocket, um, a house, or finance, it doesn't really matter. 
Um, it's, it's understanding the symptoms. It's understanding what each of the, the elements are and looking at how to refactor them and, and, uh, move them around in order to, or, or change and completely reinvent some of the elements, uh, in order to have a much better and more efficient system. It doesn't really matter what that kind of system is. If you get that, that thought process, then everything changes. Uh, and, and, and to your point just a minute ago, I, I feel like, uh, what are they called? The, the Zennials now. Um, yeah, Generation uh, Z, I think it is, or? Yeah, is, somewhere is, between yeah. Generation Z and, and Millennials um, have, will probably be seen as some of the greatest generations long term. Um, and a lot of it comes down to the education, right? Uh, we we remembered and spent time in school learning specifically and growing up um, with that singular stream of information from teachers, from text, mm-hmm. um, books, whatever else. We had to learn from the singular stream, and, and because of that, we we had a certain amount of implicit trust involved, mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of skill that needed to be derived and created in discerning what was and was not uh, bold, right? What what was valid and what was real and what was something that we ought to spend our time and attention on. Um, then the internet came. And all of a sudden, it wasn't this singular stream of information. Uh, it was everywhere. There was information overload. Um a lot of the problems that I see with, with the current generations is that they, they don't have that, that BS meter. Right? It's not very well-tuned. Maybe someday they'll get there, and I have faith in them. Um, but for us, for, for our generation, we had that tuned. We saw the ways to, to read and, and retain information very quickly uh, before, but, but have some real depth to it. And then we've got this flood of information, and, and it was a perfect storm in that sense. Um, there's a lot to be learned out there, and school isn't really the right, necessarily the right way anymore. Um, it is for many, but not for all, and it doesn't have to be for all anymore. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great point. I mean, with the way that technology is moving today, and, and things we're seeing advancements in educational technologies um, that are really helping to enhance the learning experience. We we actually had someone on to talk to us about how blockchain was being applied to um, the world of education, which was pretty fascinating to see how, you know, this, this um, what is today kind of a newer technology in, in terms of uh, broad scale um, was being applied to something uh, like education. And the idea that uh, when you needed a permission slip signed or you um, had to have your parents um, you know, review your grades or whatever this, the, uh, the situation may be, that blockchain actually can play a role into where that data is, is uh, sh- how it's shared, how it's stored, um, which we joked a lot about. You can no longer you know, uh, sign, sign your parents' signature and call it a day if you got the wrong grade. Um, but now that... Uh, Education will be taken on a different serious note, which is uh, kind of exciting. And a little bit of what you guys are doing, um, if I'm correct, over at Loki with uh, with IP and, and kind of the same mindset of, you know, how do we take these brilliant ideas that people have and how do we how do we give them a safe zone, but also give them a chance to be protected 
um, and not falsified in any way. Yeah, that's 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 you know you're you're dead on, right? It, it's protecting globally um, and and immutably, right? Um, there is an issue to be brought up, though, um, both in education and in IP and anything else, is that for the first time we have a global voice. We have, right we, through social media and the internet, we have globalization of our, our our voice, what we want to say. We have now globalization of money, mm-hmm. of, of a currency, right? Mm-hmm. We have a globalization of assets and supply chain. Things get shipped all around the world. Products get sold all over the world. We have digitization of of things like intellectual property. Um, but what we don't have is a global governance. Yes. Right? We have we have no agreement along uh, across the entire world of what something is, what something isn't, um, and and what the value is, and. That's a big problem. So, you know, at, at Loki, we went a bit further to, to try to solve that. Um, and it gets a bit esoteric in how we've essentially done it. But we realized that trying to determine the value of an idea was never going to happen if you were trying to look at it from its market opportunity. Right. It had to be purely relative. And I'll, I'll go into that and explain it a little bit more something's value, something's market value is purely dependent on what the demand is, what other technologies exist, what the cost of manufacturing that thing is, uh, even the execution of that business to get it out and gain market share, um, the supply chain cost to get it there, taxation. There's something like 3,500 variables, right? But a question that I get all the time is, well, how do you discern a good idea from a bad idea? And I said, mm-hmm. we don't, because the reality is a good idea is only a good idea in its current time, right? Right now, some of the best ideas in the world, things like the light bulb, somebody inventing a new light bulb is like, yeah, cool, right? hundred years ago, it was incredible. Right, right. So it all depends on, on, on time market value and in terms of customer demand. Uh, I mean, those are, those are two pretty significant factors, especially with your example with the light bulb. They're, they're, they're huge. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I'm getting at is determining a market valuation for, for an idea is next to impossible. Um, I, I've, I've gone through this whole process. You're welcome to read our patent on fuzzy concept mapping. Um, it's a nice short read at, I think 897 pages. Um, so what you, what you have to think about, though, is, okay, well, how do we create value or, or determine value for something if we're not trying to determine market value? And the only way to do that is to measure it, its novelty. That's it. Mm-hmm. If something is a new idea, it's worth X. If something's an old idea, it just isn't. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. We have no way of knowing uh, if a hand spinner is going to be a, a big hit, right? A fidget mm-hmm. spinner. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's not really new. There's no element of it that was new, that was invented. Nothing there was novel. In fact, the patent had existed and had lifed out. It was 26 years since the patent had been filed. Wow. So, so why do we have a patent system 
that is built around hardware components, right? Yep. Manufacturing technologies, things like that. And why do we have a 20-year lifespan for patents of which we base most equities on uh, that plus, plus the actual market share? Um, but why do we have a 20-year lifespan for things when technology moves in a matter of days now? Um, some of the greatest technologies that currently exist, some of the most successful businesses, had technologies that were created in the night, like PageRank for Google, right? right? AdWords, Gmail, um, flat rate shipping, Velcro, Post-it mm -hmm. notes. All of these things were, you know, uh, instantaneous uh, innovations. And, and, and so we have to rethink our entire value proposition or, or, or value analysis for, for what intrinsic value for individuals and, and for all of us really is. You know, how, how are we really getting to GDP? And I think you bring up a good point, too, the, uh, and the fact of globalization. I mean, we're, we live in such a global society today, and it's just going to get further global. I mean, the way that we create businesses, the way that we transact, the way we interact, the products that we sell. And, and now, to your point, the ideas that we create can be used and applied anywhere um, and, and actually have validity maybe in, in one location versus another um, in a new marketplace that uh, hadn't once been thought about. Um, how are you guys looking at things on a global scale uh, with, with Loki? Sure. Yeah. So we have we have a really good um, data provider. Uh, they they supply about ninety something percent of the market, I believe. Uh, don't quote me on that. I, no I, no I quotes. No quotes. <laughs> I'm not formally involved in the company, but um, they they have a huge market share, and and they bring in uh, patent data and invention data from all over the world. Um, I, I, I believe they're also uh, uh, expanding, if not already, in copyrights and trademarks as well. Um, but they bring it in from from patent offices all over the world. They kind of curate it, make it all into one uniform uh, format, and you know, so so we're we're able to bring in this information from from all over uh, and kind of collect it in our in our uh, in our own database in our own um, system. Now, if you're asking how we go about that, uh, it's a longer conversation. I'm happy to go into it. Um, more than welcome to read our white paper, uh, or we can continue talking. Uh, yeah, but it can, give us the high level. Give us the high level, because I, I, I know right now with 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 Loki, I, I see that you guys have the ability to for someone to come on and and actually uh, search for ideas, and then you've you've yep. created this marketplace where um, a value can be set to to your previous point. And uh, a transaction can be made um, of that IP, but but give us the high level um, because yeah. everyone should write, read the white paper, and we'll drop it in the show notes. But um, sure. the 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 shortened version would be perfect. Sure. Yeah. So so to clarify, the the marketplace and the valuation points are are not complete yet. They're still uh, under development. Uh, the search platform is definitely available, and people are definitely able to uh, uh, put inventions on on the blockchain. So uh, just just wanted to get that out there. Um, so so you're you're asking how do we get to the valuation or how are we curating this? Yeah. So so you've gotten you've gotten the data. So now and and you've talked a little bit about how they're how a value may be set. But but yeah, 
in terms of the high level of white paper, how do you guys get to evaluation? And then how does the marketplace work? So Loki, Loki yeah. Next, as, as I believe, or Nexus as it is, Next. how does that how does that work for a user? So if I have an idea, right, or a listener yep. has an idea, we've we've put our together our docs, but by goodness, we want to sell this thing. Um, or we want to yeah, protect absolutely. it. What take us through that process if you can? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it, hang in there because it's going to be a bit of a rabbit hole here. I, I've got my seatbelts on. Flux capacitor <laughs> is ready. Like we're we're ready to hit it. So go. So so in 2008, my dad and I were were working on basically creating Wikipedia for inventions. We felt it was really dejecting that um, that inventors we're having such a hard time finding things um, and, and that the patent system was so stifling that, that people wouldn't file patents and in many cases wouldn't follow through with their inventions to begin with. Um, the average cost of filing a patent, I believe, is somewhere around $130,000. Uh, and it takes about six and a half years to get it, right? Ultimately, inventors are front-loading all that. And we just, well, that's that's really a shame, right? So let's let's create a Wikipedia for inventions for people that feel that they're not going to follow through with their technologies, right? Those, those orphaned technologies and inventions. And in racing, this was something that was really close to me because, you know, because of competitive advantage, nobody ever wanted to share their technologies. Um, they never wanted to lose that competitive edge. So there was really no tech transfer at all. Um, we started creating that and realized pretty quickly that that wasn't going to work, but not for the reason that we expected. Um, we thought that it wasn't going to work because nobody wanted to share their inventions. It really wasn't huh. going to work because nobody could find similar inventions. And oh. we realized something very crucial. If you come up with a new technology, you also name that technology. Right? Not right. so much of a, of a problem until you realize that every search engine in the world is using keyword searching. <laughs> and you're now the only one in the world that has the keyword. Right. So right. an example I give all the time is search for the oldest invention in human history on the most powerful search engine in the world. Search for the wheel in Google and you'll find a wheel right away. Mm -hmm. If you search for a round rolling thing, you'll never find it. And so we think that way. We think in context. We think in, well, this thing rolls, which means these you know, laws of motion and, and it's spinning over a singular axis. But what we what we realized was that Google and every other search engine had no context. They didn't know what something was. They didn't know what round meant. They didn't know what a thing was versus a why, where, what, you know, anything else. Um, they didn't know what rolling was. By the way, was I just, just, for, just for you and for listeners, I just Googled this and you are spot on. When you search round rolling thing, uh, to your point, Google has no context. So it just searches the keywords and provides yep. us with funny videos of Roland France. Uh, yep. What if animals were round? Uh, Roland yep. Safari. So Yeah, for a while there, there was an entire <laughs> page of Baby Got Back lyrics and, uh, and sushi rolls, by the way, as well, which, which made my example amazing for a few conferences. Um, if you do find it, Please, listeners, if you do find it, it kind of messes up my example. Please don't click on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, stay you. away from. Yeah, stay away the from one, the sushi rolls. The one rolls. thing that Google is extremely good at is PageRank. Right? Yes, they're yes. very good at PageRank. Yes. Um, and so we kind of kind of thought about even that concept and, and and realized, oh well, 
PageRank works with references, people clicking through things and not clicking back and then clicking through this to another page and there was this link analysis, right? Um, and so when looking at inventions and patents, we said, oh, well, every inventor also references prior art. Prior art being uh, all the previous inventions that, that existed in order for your combination of these things to now be novel, right? Every inventor is required to, to claim these prior arts and to um, show where theirs is new and novel. Right. So in, in, in some similarity to, to PageRank, um, not technically, but, but um, from an example perspective, uh, in some similarity there, we, we realized that people were actually referencing what something did and what something else was. We then started to derive that context and understanding why an innovation went from one thing to another. Why did we go from bicycle wheels that were wood to bicycle wire mesh right, wheels and wood frames to steel and to uh, aluminum and uh, titanium and then carbon fiber? Why did we make these things? And when you look at this whole hierarchical tree structure, you realize, oh my God, the world is telling us what things do. We just weren't listening, right? Hmm. So what that meant was that we were able to take in all of the open-sourced patents from around the world and, and those that we buy from, from our patent uh, data provider, and we're able to then discern what something fundamentally did, its context, and that's that contextual derivation. Wow. So, so you, you were able to give context to IP or to ideas, to ideas, any search, anywhere, on any platform, right? Wow. Know what something fundamentally does, not what it's called, not where it's sold, not what it's marketed as, not what it's used for, what it does, right? Could a spoon be used as a shovel? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not, right? Yeah. Just because you use it for food doesn't mean it couldn't be used for other applications. Google and any other search engine could not tell you that. Right. That's what we were able to determine. And from there, it got really cool because we realized, oh, well, we're creating data sets out of this context, what something fundamentally did, right? Well, could we then go back in time and understand every invention that must have existed in order for something to exist today? Yeah, absolutely. Could we then discern all of that and start combining those things together to be able to determine everything, every invention and idea that could have existed, not must have existed? Well, yeah, absolutely. Could we then launch a, a product that was a search engine for determining novelty, um, just helping inventors search and find like or similar things and trying to determine if they have a new invention or do not globally? Yeah, absolutely. And then if we combined the new technologies that were being discovered by inventors today with all of those 64 billion inventions, ideas, and concepts that existed before, couldn't we go into the future and determine every logical permutation that could exist? Yeah, absolutely. So we did. Wow. So you, you essentially built this, this idea brain, more or less, that, as you said, it's a adds it's a Loki. So it, yeah, it adds, it, it literally a Loki is the singularity of a swarm of locusts. It wow. is the hive mind, literally. 
So right. you've built the hive mind for ideas today, for, for past, present, and future. For everything, every idea. Wow. wow. Bu- building, 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 right? building. Invented and built many elements of it, but not not complete. So that gets me into your second question there, which was how do we get the valuation metric? Yeah. Yep. Well, so we hid um, what what an invention would be or could be uh, behind a black box, essentially, right? We kind of keep it completely hidden. We don't want to know because we don't want to destroy the value of somebody coming up with a new technology, right? We don't want to kill the importance of, of humans. Uh, right. And yes, that is a valid concern, right? And I, you know, sometimes it's a startling that 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 really is a concern Concerned. that we're addressing. Um, but yes, it is. We didn't want to kill the intrinsic value for humans. So what we were able to do is just determine how many possible permutations, how many possible innovations could exist or, or um, different examples of any given invention could actually fundamentally exist. And because we're able to determine that uh, extremely accurately, we can then create a valuation metric where if there are going to be 5,000 versions of the iPhone, the first one is worth 5,000 coin. Hmm. The last one is worth one coin. Right? The first one, that one worth 5,000 coin, is directly uh, is the most valuable because they have the most opportunity, that inventor has the most opportunity to come up with iterative uh, future technologies and other designs and betterments. Right? Got it. So, so, the, so the first will have to your point, the, the most value, and then from there will value will be determined based on the uh, the size of of the variation, the variation pool, if you will. Yeah, I mean, think of it like a tree, right? Mm-hmm. Where where the roots, the roots of the tree, are the technologies that go into things, the 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 prior art, the other inventions that were required in order to combine, right? They all come in and meet at the trunk. Right? The trunk is almost the same size as the sum of all of the roots. It then goes up and sprawls out, right? And you've got all these other innovations that are the branches. And then you have the end products that are the leaves. The leaves can fall off. You can pick a leaf off and not have any issue, right? But if you cut the trunk down or you uncover all of the roots, the whole thing falls. It has the most value that way. That's a good point. Um so now with the with the token, so so you, you mentioned that you guys have this this coin, this token. Um, what is the what is the use or the utility of that token? Is it something that I can I can use uh, to buy Absolutely. other IP? Is it something that I'm given when I put IP on the platform? What is the the uh, transactional value of that? So there are a few purposes for it. The first is to actually use the search uh, search engine, right? Which is just called Loki Search. Got it. Um, and, and that's just a hundred coin. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, um, looking into changing some of our, um, pricing models and structures. Um, but, but that's, it, it's going to be right around that same point either way. Got it. Um, so the, the first is to actually use the product, right? Mm-hmm. The second is to stake a, a, an invention on the blockchain. Um, and I can go into that. There's, there's a lot of, uh, semantics around the legality on things and court admissibility and how it doesn't make you lose your your intrinsic value in it, right? 
Um, and then the the last portion is going to be, uh, and and this is to be built. Um, the last is going to be around the exchange of IP. Now, uh, an inevitable question with the explanation that I gave around the valuation metric here is, well, 5,000 coin at its current price, whatever it is when this is airing, is like nothing for my life's work idea. Right. What we do is we also use that contextual derivation to combine inventions within our system, right? Um, inventions that have been staked uh, uh, on the blockchain um, by our users. We can combine those together and package them into these investment pools. Uh, those investment pools uh, can get sold then to enterprises. So the way that the economics work is equally as important as the technology. Um, what we do is an inventor comes to us, has a new invention, right? Spends very little time and energy. They certain, certainly spend very little money. Uh, at $250, it's near nothing compared to, uh, you know, the 130000 that it would cost to, to file a patent. Right. Um, they stake their invention and uh, they sell that invention to Loki Nexus. Right. Okay. Uh, which right now is not a a nonprofit, but that is our intentions to get it to get it there. It, it was just too many complexities from a legal perspective right away. Yeah. Um, that Loki Nexus will then buy this this invention, this IP, um, and will package it together with say thousands of other inventions, like all the thousands of inventions that go into an iPhone, and offer that up for sale to an enterprise. Now, the catch is that an enterprise like Apple buying all the technology that goes into the iPhone, right? the catch for the enterprise is a couple. Uh, one, they don't need to have the engineers internally that they've been paying for a decade to invent all of this stuff. right? They don't have to have all their failures and all their attrition rates. Two, they must buy these inventions in totality. Uh, they must buy all these inventions with Loki coin. Which means the thousands of inventors that, that got coin for selling their inventions to Nexus now can sell their coin to mm -hmm. the enterprise, which drives up the secondary value of the coin in the first place, right? Um, it ends up being this recirculating uh, economy where uh, production equals consumption. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ends up essentially being economic perpetual motion. Wow, uh, very interesting. So, so I told you it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just uh, I'm a, a little taken aback because it, it's pretty fascinating, and this can happen on a, on a global scale. So, any yeah. company on a global level can look at uh, IP or ideas uh, from anywhere from anywhere in the world, and can they get yep. targeted? So, can a company in Korea look at IP in say? Uh, you know, Florida and France that yep. can combine. Yep. And, wow. So yep. now, so now you truly, you know, back to all the way when we talked in the beginning, you've now created this growing dynamic global marketplace for ideas anywhere in the world. So now someone's idea starts locally because that's where they founded it, but instantly it can become global. It's, it's very yep. similar to what, some of the crowdfunding platforms did for people's products. You're now doing this at the very beginning of, hey, you have an idea, 
put it together. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And and if you think about it, right, what Mm -hmm. that means is that people can actually mine the currency by coming up with ideas that are productive for society. Right. They, they can mine it by coming up with these ideas and staking them. Right. Ironically, that comes up to a proof of stake mining, mm-hmm. um, different kind of stake, but a stake of an idea, a stake of novelty. Right. We're crowdsourcing research and development. And if you really think about it, right, why, why would an enterprise that's so good at executing on things, yet so terrible at being innovative and nimble, try to do both? Right. And why would an inventor or an individual that's so good at being innovative and nimble try to execute? They're horrible at it. Why not bifurcate that process? And you do it in the most basic root store of value that humans have. Intellect. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this is fascinating. It's it's just showing where we're going in the future as to, you know, how how things are going to continue to progress and I mean, to your point, rather than spend the money, take the loss, and years of time, look for the opportunity of someone doing something good in the world that fits what you're trying to fits and yeah, fixes the can, problem you're trying to solve. It can dramatically expedite our our innovation process, right? And on top of that, even if you went through the whole patent process, the likelihood is that you'll have it taken. Um, whether it be in courts or it be actually stolen uh, or duplicated in this, you know, at the time of recording this, you know, we've got this big trade war going on with, with China. Um, All of those things are real concerns. Mm -hmm. So the way that we address that, by the way, is that in the U S and PCT, um, they went to this first to file basis, right? The first inventor to file a patent gets the patent. Now, there was that, that's good in premise, um, but there was a fundamental issue with that. And that is, patents are really expensive to file, and lawyers are very expensive. Right? So mm-hmm. inventors mm-hmm. needed to go and raise capital to simply file the very thing that they were raising capital for mm-hmm. in order to secure it. Right. Mm-hmm. So in a first-to-file world, that means that anytime somebody went to raise money to file the patents, they could lose their patent simply by trying to go through the process. That doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense to the patent offices either. So they added in two provisions to this. The first was called a provisional patent. Now, a typical patent costs about $5,500 per independent claim to file. Okay? Right. Um, By the way, ours has about 460-some-odd claims. Wow. So the first one costs... $5,500. $5,500. And, you know, depending on, on what region, what country you're in, these costs vary a bit, but they're still exorbitant. Um, the provisional patent was $99, right? And yep. it lasted one year and it gave a one year grace period for somebody to file a full patent, a utility patent, a non-provisional is how they call it, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas a typical patent, a, a, a utility patent, for instance, would last 20 years and would cost a lot of money. This was a very quick option that was 99 bucks and would give you a one-year window. Um, but they also realized that some people just went right to market or they discussed things too early or they needed to raise capital to actually build these prototypes and test the theories. Um, this happens a lot in, in medicine, for instance. Mm-hmm. So they added a second provision called the 
public disclosure clause. Now, that public disclosure clause says that anybody that files, a, a, sends out a white paper, that publishes a research paper, um, speaks about their technology to a party of, uh, to a group of more than two, um, or releases a product that's reverse engineerable. And uh, let me preface: I'm not a lawyer. I've just read through these things many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. um, has the same one-year grace period to file a non-provisional patent. We saw that and we pounced. Mm -hmm. Because now we can stake the inventions on a blockchain and make a globally immutable system that protects inventors and their ability to file a patent and their court admissibility without needing to go through any of that process. And they could do it globally. They can do it anonymously. What that meant is that what, what Loki Nexus is going to be transacting here is not patents. What it is is the right to file a patent. Okay. So giving because the right to block. file because of the blockchain. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Because it can block the, somebody else's ability to file a patent because now it exists and it's been shown that it's publicly disclosed. Got it. What they're essentially selling is the keys. Right here, mm -hmm. you can now go and do this on your own, and so that process we can do in a matter of minutes. Wow, this is fascinating. This is and this is pretty unbelievable. And and I think you know, John, from from our discussion before the the uh, the episode and and now during, it, it seems like this is the time for something like this to come about. And we should have had it years ago, but today more than ever, this is the right time for something like this. Well, I had it years ago. I mean, we invented this in 2008. Well, so. for the general public, how about that? For the general <laughs> public, it's time. Um, but, John, I, I've got a, a few questions for you, kind of rapid-fire lightning round sure. uh, as we, we come to the close here. Um, probably the biggest of them all is, is where do you see the future of, of, of blockchain technology headed? Uh, we're seeing a ton uh, of conversation about everything and anything happening in the space from infrastructure to ICOs to cryptocurrency to every other buzzword that people are talking about. In your mind, what do you see the value of, of blockchain um, in the future? That's a broad question. Are, are, are you saying specific applications? Are you saying, uh, yeah, I mean, let's narrow that down a little bit. Yeah. So let's, let's go into to applications. So specific into applications around business. How do you see blockchain continuing to to play a role or, or play a role in the future? Well, okay, so I, I think it's inevitable that public companies um, are going to have to have their reporting on blockchain, mm -hmm. um, especially their quarterly reporting. Um, those things need to be immutable in order to protect the investors. Um, I, I, I think that one of the obvious choices is real estate, uh, title and deed markets, and any government's registry of information, mm -hmm. um, death records, marriage records, uh, passports, IDs, identifications, all that's pretty obvious. Uh, currencies, again, pretty obvious. Um, there are a couple of things that I, that I do feel are not going to work very well. Um, anything where a database works just fine and doesn't need to be immutable, um, really shouldn't have a slower option, right? Re really shouldn't be slowed down by going onto a blockchain. Um, blockchain is an incredibly inefficient database. 
And, and I think a lot of people neglect to realize that, that, that a lot of the technologies that exist or, or these ICOs that are going out are just better to, to be on a database. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. A perfect example is, although we're doing intellectual property and ideas, um, patents are absolutely a horrible use to go on blockchain. Um, you can hash out the location of where something would be and its novelty, like a, um, just like a title and deed or a land registration office would. And that works really well. That's what we do. Um, but storing gigabits of, of PDFs and images and all that stuff on a blockchain, that's just a terrible and really inefficient process. Um, so when it gets to, to things like China's social score, no way is that going to go on a blockchain. The score itself could, mm -hmm. but the information that goes into it, right? And, and I, I think there's still a lot to be had with uh, these identity companies. There are some of them that are doing, um, that, that, that are going the right direction, but there's still a lot to work on because a person's overall identity is massive from a file perspective. Um, social media, I don't see on the blockchain. Um, news is a good application, uh, at least the title or the dates of, of something, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The point I'm getting at is keeping it as small as possible. Right. Okay. Okay. And how many patents do you have? Uh, how many inventions do you have to your name? Uh, patents or inventions, because they're very different things. Both. Uh, patents, I have two. However, I have a lot of continuations and divisionals, and there are new ones going out all the time, so I, I don't really have, have that number. Mm -hmm. um, inventions that I've been a part of, thousands. Um, inventions that I've actually created and not patented, um, again, probably thousands. Awesome. Well, John, I, I thank you so so much uh, for, for your time today. It's It's honestly been incredibly educational for myself and I'm sure for the listeners to fig to hear where this world is headed. I mean, for someone who's worked with several companies as well and in the hardware space and software space, seeing how IP gets created and some of the problems that we've talked about and what you guys are solving, um, you know, again, this is the time um, more than ever to, to have Loki uh, in the world uh, on a mass scale for consumers to start using. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So, Thank you very much. Thank Any shout-outs you want to give to, to the audience of, of, of uh, what's happening and what's coming up next in your world? Oh, man, that's a long list. Uh, <laughs> yeah, short version. I, short I, version. I, I think there's some incredible things. So I'll be speaking at a few events and conferences and, and, and other sort of locations. Uh, just go to Loki.io uh, and, and read our news and, and kind of a where in the world is John Wise thing. It should be coming out soon. Um, I'll be a part of Blockchain Unbound in Tokyo in, I believe, the second week of October. Um, I'll be doing an event in D.C. at GW, um, uh, which I don't remember the name. Blockchain Week, I think, or, or some, something along those lines. Fintech Week. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, there, there are several other events. Um, man, they, there are a lot of great people in the space. I would love to, to give shout outs to, to all those people. Um, I think one of the, one of the bigger ones is all of my team. Um, I certainly am not the only one within Loki and, and all of my businesses. Uh, it's a long list to, to list out all the people there. Um, 
but I, they, you know, they know who they are. And, uh, and I want to give a shout out to all the work that's, that's going on with, with data as well. Uh, I didn't mention it on, on this, but I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of the Digital Asset Trade Association too. And, and we're doing some really hard work when it comes to uh, regulation in, in, in the U.S. as well as internationally, things like GDPR and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for joining everyone. I'll put in uh, the show notes, uh, the links to to everything that uh, John has mentioned today, including the uh, data ass- or excuse me, digital asset trading association, and then to Loki uh, as well. So, John, thank you again very much. Great having you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.